Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Well, why don't you stand with me? Y'all a little confused, aren't you? I don't know. Just thought I'd check with you. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, great to see all of you here and those of you watching online. Uh, you have the opportunity to see me. I do not have the opportunity to see you. It's going to be crazy one day when that does happen. I know we could FaceTime, but we can't FaceTime all of you. So just know that you're loved and you're welcome into this moment. I'm doing kind of a different thing uh, in the next three to four weeks, and I'm going to talk about the best of the best. Um, the best life that we can live or the best lives that we can live don't just happen. Uh, they happen because we are committed to the disciplines that make them happen. Now, the reason you say, well, what's the big deal about the disciplines? Well, a lot of people are committed to the emotions. When the emotions are running high, things are going good, um, we feel God or we feel like we feel God. And uh, so we're committed to the emotional experience with the Lord. And I'm not against emotions at all, but I grew up in an extremely emotional church. And uh, there were Sundays and Wednesdays and uh, very few that we, we would have what we called an altar service. And, and people would be very emotionally moved toward the altar. And once they got to the altar, there was an emotional experience that we uh, equated to, to God being there. That, that God was in the house. And that, that because we felt him, we knew he was there. Can I say something to you? God's in the house when you don't feel him. God's present when you don't feel him. And so I have a, uh, in my life, my fight has been to uh, battle for balance, if you will. And, and I don't use the word balance to negate those of you who are highly emotional, and maybe that's how you experience God. I'm, there's no criticism. However, uh, every day is not blissful. And, and if, if to you it is, then I applaud you for either walking at a higher level with God or having great medication. Because the world is, is, has been and probably always built, will be in a battle, in turmoil, in chaos. Because that's just how uh, things have gone from the beginning of time when Satan uh, entered the garden. And so the, the thief comes to steal the best of the best times, the best of the best life. And so if you don't know who your enemy is and, and you've not been taught how to fight the enemy, 
then there's a really good chance you won't experience the very best of the best. And when I say that, uh, I didn't learn early on how to walk the Christian walk and fight the Christian fight. Um, I just knew that when times were good, you embraced them and you thanked God and you were happy. And then when times were bad, uh, you often didn't thank God. And it wasn't that you were lesser a Christian, but that you were lesser aware of what was going on. And so when things are difficult at work, uh, true Christianity to me, the, the light of true Christianity shines the brightest when things are tough and you don't look like they're tough. When the world's going through a tough time and everybody's down and everybody's scowling and you're walking around smiling. When the business is going down and they know they're going to lay people off and everybody's mad at the man and everybody's mad at the economy and everybody, but you're walking around the office like you just got a promotion. Amen. That to me tells me where we really are in our walk with God. Now, it doesn't mean we're celebrating a downturn. It doesn't mean we're celebrating a bad time, but we're celebrating God in the bad time. And that is the greater fight. Uh, is, is being committed to that. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, listen to this. It says... We, we demolish arguments. doesn't say we demolish those that we argue with. It says we're demolishing the argument. And the argument always begins in here. And you can say, well, somebody's coming at me. You can't have a one-sided argument. An argument requires two people just like a fight requires two people. And the challenge is, I think, is that we're drawn into fights that don't belong to us. We're, we're brought into arguments that don't belong to us. And that when that happens, we become disturbed Christians. We become conflicted. We become divided. And I'm not a pacifist. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a personal battle. I'm not talking about uh, a battle that's going on right now in the Ukraine where I, I know people there in Russia and that. Those are, those are collective battles, national battles. And, and I won't speak to those today because I'm not smart enough to speak to those. But I am knowledgeable enough to speak to the, the battles that go in, on in our soul. And when battles outside begin to rage, people start taking sides and saying things and feeling things uh, that, that may not contribute to our spiritual health, our mental health, our emotional health. In times like these, the great battle in our society is to individualize our Christianity. And then when we come together corporately, we worship God together without conflict. And so the great battle in the world today, I believe, is happening in churches, in uh, the lives of Christians, how we respond to the chaos, how we respond to the hatred, and all of those things going on in the world. I find myself, I'm a very passionate, emotional person, and I think as I look back in my past, my emotions took me places that I could not uh, really do well. 
I, I found myself in emotional battles, getting angry and frustrated with people very quickly. And what I realized was that I was not operating as a true disciple. I was saved. But the Bible says go into all the world and make disciples. That means make disciplines. I've followed revivals since the 90s, most recent revivals, and, and studied the Wales Revival and, and Azusa Street and studied so many revivals throughout history. And as powerful as some of those moves of God were, uh, even recently, the Pensacola Revival in the 90s in Kansas City and Canada, I forget, it was Airport Revival or something up there. And, and I'm not opposed to that, but, but my question as I've studied has always been, what happens after all of the, the emotion is gone? What happens after all of this uh, is played out? What, where are we at the end of those? Please don't hear me say I'm minimizing. And now today we've got Asbury, which uh, I served, my first uh, service was, was in the Methodist Church uh, in South Texas. And I've never been in a Methodist Church in my life. And I began to study the book of discipline. That's what they call their, their, their doctrine is the book of discipline. And when you read about the Wesley brothers, powerful. It's a powerful. It, if, the denom- if the Methodist denomination ever decided to truly embrace the doctrine that they, they possess, it, it's powerful. And I know it's been watered down. It's been lost throughout the ages. And I'm not saying that to be disparaging at all toward the Methodist Church. If anything, it's to be complimentary. But right now, Asbury College in Kentucky's having a revival. It's, I mean, I don't know how many days last I read. It was 168 hours or something. And, and as much as I've followed it and I'm excited and I'm listening and I'm checking in on it, my question is, what happens when this shuts down? You see, Pensacola Church no longer exists. I mean, really, as it was, a Pensacola revival. A friend of mine was on staff when that happened, and I've talked to him about it. And, and so the point I'm trying to make is this. I love a move of God. I love to experience God. And I really, a part of me, I could do that. I could really do that. I could, I could give myself to an emotional worship experience because I'm an emotional person. Uh, and when I built the first church, I, I was building with the incredible power of God, I'm not saying I built it, but God through me, uh, we were having these kinds of moves of God. And, and I was disturbed because I didn't know what to do. At that time, Joel Osteen's daddy called me, and I had known the Osteens for a long time, and, and such precious people and precious family. And I'm a defender of the Osteens. You cannot like Joel if you don't want, but they're as sweet and as authentic offstage as they are on. And his daddy called me out of the blue, and I was shocked because they had a big church then, and I was just building a church, and and I, I, we were having these moves of God. Now, now most of you don't think about this because you you don't you know you're not leading a church, but as I'm standing here, we have people in hospitality, we have ushers, greeters, but most importantly, we have children that we're, we're caring for, and uh, how many of you know that caring for children is really difficult they have more energy than any of us could ever imagine and they're, they're just bouncing off walls and they're acting like kids and it's wonderful until you're the one in the garage out there and uh you're going is service over yet <laughs> i want to get these kids back to mom and dad you know and so i happen to be a youth pastor when in, in tulsa when uh at, at a very very large church and every year they had this thing called word explosion and I had a thousand teenagers. Now, 
There is nobody wants a thousand. I wouldn't even pray for a thousand teenagers today. But at that time, I thought it was a rock star thing to do. And, and, and service would go for two and three hours. And I'm going, just give me a gun or, you know, tranquilizers or something, pills to give them. I, I don't know. Because I had to entertain them. And, you know, entertaining kids versus adults who are addressing major issues. Emotionally, they're going through this. And so when Brother Osteen called me, I said, man, I, I, he said, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. You didn't even ask me. I said, keep talking, please. <clears throat> I need help. And he said these things, and I've, I've lived by them. And here's the reason I share this with you today. is Everybody that comes to church, not just this church, but any church, you ask yourself the question, is the worship too long? Is it too loud? Is the preaching too this? Is it too that? Is the children's ministry? We have all these questions, and they're, they're legitimate. Uh, but uh, he said uh, when we, we were having these long worship services, and, I mean, you know, they'd go for an hour, and then I would stand up and preach. And, and it, it disturbed me because I, I felt like, you know, everybody has things to do and places to go. And, and some people would say, well, if you really love God, it wouldn't matter. But, but I, I think I disagree with that based on the fact that we're called to be disciples, and the root of disciple is discipline. And so today I want to speak to some disciplines in our lives so that whenever difficult times come and you're fighting the good fight of faith that Paul talked about, that you don't get weary in well-doing, that you realize that, that, that we're fighting through this. And Brother Osteen said these words to me, and you've heard me say them many times, and I'll repeat it for those of you who had not heard it. He said, Mark, if you'll do three things, you'll build a great church. And, of course, I'm listening because at that time he had one of the biggest churches in America. And he said, if you'll minister to the Lord in worship, you'll minister to the people in prayer, and you'll minister the Word of God, you'll have a great church. That brought me back to a balanced approach of some of you don't even care about music, and some of you don't care about worship, and you'll be highly criticized by those who do. And then some of you like the Word of God, and you like the preaching. That means that you like to come in when I'm standing up here. And I love you for that. But, that, that, and I understand those of you who really aren't into worship, that doesn't make you a lesser Christian. It really doesn't. And I don't want you to feel judged if, if you're sitting in the lobby and you feel like you know, you'll come in with a preaching. Now, I would feel a little upset if you sat in the lobby while I was preaching. Just kidding. But we, we have this thing called Christianity, and it's, it's so full of so many different opinions and ideas about what that looks like. And so what I've done over the years through the, some of the very difficult times in my life and some of the blessed times in my life is try to bring those together and sort through those to see what I've learned in those. And I love having emotional times with God. I really do. I love it when I feel the presence of God very strong. But I know that's not going to happen every day. If you go to work and you're worshiping and you're supposed to be working, you'll be unemployed. And so you have to work through how to be a Christian in all these different categories of life. And, and the reality is there are times and places for things. But my question with the, the current moves of God that are going on on college campuses, which I'm very thankful for, is, is what happens when all of it goes away? What happens? Have we learned anything? And so, again, I don't think anybody knows how to have revival. I don't know that anybody knows how to control revival or even navigate revival. So I'm not standing up here acting like I do. Matter of fact, I have probably more questions today than I did in the 90s. 
But I, I want us to know that, that having a relationship, a really good relationship with Jesus to me, is maintaining a life that it becomes less and less highs and lows and is a life of consistency that, that sometimes almost borderlines on boring. That'll excite you. Because our love for Jesus is, is the foundation. Our love and trust is a foundation for our walk with God. Not all the emotional moments, but changing it up and doing some things that, that cause us to be more and more aware of who Jesus is and, and the role that he plays in our lives. Because I wish I could say you're never going to struggle again and, and life's going to be filled with just bliss day after day. I would love that. But it's just not reality. So what do I do when I find myself in the fight of my life? And so what, what Paul says to the church at Corinth is we demolish arguments. It doesn't say we argue with people, but I have to demolish arguments in my life because I used to fight over the littlest of things. Um, you know, this is the reason for division and denominationalism, and I, I'm not opposed to any denomination. However, the minute I begin to exalt my denomination uh, over my relationship with God and my love for people, then that denomination has become my God. So if I tell somebody, if somebody came up to me and said, what are you? And, and I said, I'm Baptist. That's the wrong answer. I say, I'm a Christian, but I worship in a Baptist church. Nothing wrong with that. But when I first got saved, I was so excited to be saved because I was so lost. I was one of those people that didn't live in the gray area. I lived in the dark. So when I got saved, I was happy to be saved. And I would run into people who were denominational or traditional Christians, and I met one guy one time, and, he, and he, he was so strong in his, I'm Baptist from the letter B to the letter T, and I want to say you're an idiot from the letter I to the letter T, and because I wanted to say, you know, but, but I wasn't smart enough, but I, I wanted to say, you know, is this what this is all about, because that creates division to me. It, it, it's where we worship is, is not as important as who we worship. So, so to me, the disciplines of life, the only way I know how to do this is I'm not going to argue. You know, and I did for years. I argued over baby baptism versus baby dedication, speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues. Do you believe in healing? Do you not believe in healing? Argued over all those things. And, and the, the reality is, it, you know, everybody's going to believe in healing at one point in time in their life. Because when they get sick and medicine runs out, now I believe in healing. I don't have to beat them up. Do you want me to pray for you? And, and so the reality is that, that I have to fight and you have to fight for the arguments going on in, in your life. You're not, and, but we find ourselves fighting against other people. The reason the world's turned off by church and Jesus is we fight each other rather than speaking well of each other. I can find something good in every church. I, I can find something wonderful. There's nobody that leads people to Jesus like the Baptist. I am so thankful for their focus on Jesus Christ and being born again. I'm so thankful. And you know what, if they never did anything else, none of my business. I'm just not going to be Baptist because I believe in healing. I believe in miracles. I believe Jesus is doing today what he did then, back when he was here. I believe in those things. And, and you know, you can get mad. And, and even if you don't believe in those things and you come to this church, I'm going to love you. And, and, and I'm going to honor you and I'm going to respect you. I'm not going to argue with you. If you have a question for me, I'll answer it. If you want to argue with the question, you probably need to go to somebody else. Because I'm going to respect what you believe and ask you to respect what I believe. Now, 
here's the reality. You say, well, how does that pan out? It pans out by the Holy Spirit's activity in all of our lives. And, and so it's very important because sometimes we fight about things that, that they're just not important. And I'll get to that probably not today, but next week and the weeks to come. I usually don't get through my first introduction in a new series on the first day. You guys know me. I try to find a vein and go for it, you know. <laughs> Still looking for that one, you know. But when Paul said we demolish arguments and every pretension not every person that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Therein lies the crux of that verse. We take every thought captive. You see, I can think a certain way of you, and you can think a certain way of me, but me thinking a certain way of you does me no good whatsoever unless I think good of you and think well of you. You see, I believe everybody has good in them, and the, the Jesse going to prisons, yeah, we've got a lot of incarcerated people, but that doesn't mean they're bad people. They're good people who did bad things and got caught. The only way I can love an ex-convict is to see them as a person instead of seeing them as what they did because they're not one and the same. They're really not, and you can argue that if you want, but God loves every incarcerated human being today as much as he loves me. So my job is to be like Jesus and love every one of them the way Jesus loves them. Doesn't mean I'm condoning their behavior, I'm supporting what they did or agreeing with them, but the love is the only thing that never fails. You can have all the knowledge and the wisdom and the intelligence in the world, but you're not going to win people with that without love. And, and so we can rehabilitate or we can reform. The, rea the reality is, I can teach you not to do things based on the consequences you will suffer if you do them. So now you're not serving the God of all mankind. You're serving a behavior that prevents consequences. And this is the challenge, is that all of our head knowledge tells people, if you do this, this is what will happen. But if I fall in love with Jesus, the fact that I'm in love with Jesus will make me not want to do that. Not because of the consequences, but because of what I'm missing out on by not doing what Jesus wants me to do. So, if I could do anything today, it would be this. It would be, say, not, not what you're wearing or not wearing. And, and uh, you know, not whether you believe in miracles or don't believe in miracles. I, I wish everybody would, not because it's what I believe, but because I believe we need miracles every day. I believe that, that healing is, is something that we need to believe for, not to, to minimize those who don't or to get crossways, but I have to take every thought captive, especially when somebody does something to me. And, and my emotions are just like yours. I'm a pastor, but when somebody's mean, it lands on all of us pretty much the same. Now, how we respond to what lands on us may vary, but it lands on us all the same. And mean will never win. Mean is divisive. And the world is watching the church be mean to each other, mishandle sin, mishandling those who do sin. And, and the world's going, well, if that's how they treat each other, why would I want to be a part of that? And so it's important for the church not to be perfect, but to love as perfectly as we can love. Now, it's, it's very important uh, 
that we live life. Let me say it. It's very important that you live life. And when I, so when I talk about discipline, people automatically begin to think do's and don'ts. But, but really, life is sloppy. It's kind of messy. And quite frankly, it ought to be. We ought to live life to the full. And I, so when I, was, when I got born again in the church, I got born again. And they were highly emotional and, and, and very judgmental. So you were expected, if, if there was an altar service and you didn't come to the altar, you were not a good Christian. Why would you sit out there while everybody else is up here? Because I want to. I'm going to have my relationship with God. So we oftentimes move in herds, and, uh, and, and we don't know why. So I'm going to try in this series to, to give some explanation steps as to why I do what I do. And, and again, I'm a little bit because I grew up in such a herd mentality where what everybody else did, I did. But I didn't know why I was doing it. And so there are times, and, and don't take this as what you ought to do because you have to be real careful. But used to, if I saw somebody sitting down during worship, I, I just really, I had this thought of them as being less than. They don't love God. Any of you ever been there? Oh, I see. It's only me. Maybe you don't think like I, but, but now I look and I go, I just tell people, I said, I just want you to, I just want you to be you. When you come to this church, if you want to sit, sit. You want to stand, stand. You want to worship? If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. My wife's not a real big hand lifter. She grew up Church of Christ. And all I have good to say is they sing so wonderfully. <laughs> I love listening to Church of Christ worship experiences because there's no music it's just voices, and they can rock it vocally. So there's a good thing. But she's not a hand lifter. And, and you know, they, some of y'all in here, because we're kind of a hand lifting church, you could easily judge my wife. Probably not a good idea. <laughs> but, but I know she loves God. She just loves God differently than I do. So how do you stay married? She is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Because I've had to rethink somebody who might think differently than me. See, we don't like it when people think differently than us. That's where we start fighting. Because we're trying to convince people that we're right. And let me just tell you something. There's a lot less right and wrong in this world than we think. And, and I'm, I'm just going out on a limb because I'm old and I've done the math on how long my dad lived. And I'm looking and going, hey, let's go out with a blaze here. But I've realized that, that I, my opinion was so strong that I thought everybody ought to believe like me. Why wouldn't you? I figured this thing out. And you know what I figured out? I haven't figured it out. That's what I figured out. But one thing I have figured out, love never fails. Patience is a great thing. So I'm fighting for things that I didn't know I was supposed to fight for. I'm fighting for love, that I would love everybody. I'm fighting for patience. And I was asked by one of our granddaughters, who's almost 12, she said, what would you change if you could change anything? These are the kind of conversations we have. And, you know, you think about raising kids, and I raised five. And, and uh, I look back and goes, what was one thing I would do differently if I could? I didn't think I was too strict because how, how many of you know Kids need help. Nowadays, they don't get help. 
pretty much. That's why they're going crazy. You know, back in the day, look, man, SWATs were just a part of our everyday life. And I know today, if you SWAT a kid, you're going to jail. I'm thinking, geez, I'm going to jail because I didn't get SWATed. And so, but uh, she asked what would, what would be the one thing, and I thought about it. I thought, well, maybe you're, and, and Susan weighed in, and maybe we're too strict. And I said, no. I said, all my kids are gainfully employed. They're doing great. They're disciplined. They know how to obey the law, and, and they've, they've done pretty well. And that sounds boastful. I don't mean for it to, but they just have done well. I said, but the one thing I would change in my life is I would be far more patient than I was with them. I would have slowed down. I would have been kinder. I, I would have said things in a way instead of threatening. I'm glad some of you threatened yours as well. You will be in your room until Jesus returns. Probably a little extreme. Um, but I would have been more patient. And, and I'm, so now, you say, what are the things you're working on in your life? I don't know how many of you do this. And maybe I just, uh, I, I, wanna, I, I, could, I could try to feel better about myself by making you feel worse about yourself. Because that's really what we do. Some of you are going, what does he mean by that? You do it all the time. Matter of fact, it's so normal, you don't even think about it. But we all do. We feel, when we're feeling down, here's what we typically do. Instead of fighting for our own, the arguments going on inside us, we try to make somebody else less than us so that we can feel better about us. So, in other words, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Look at what they've done. I don't think God does that. I really don't. I don't think God's that way. I think if I could look and say, you know, it has nothing to do. I don't measure my life anymore against you or somebody else. Or I try not to. I'm measuring my life against what I know this says. Did, did I treat somebody right? Did I think about them right? Did I take a thought captive that said they are so stupid? I cannot believe they got a license. They must have gotten it at Walmart, not the DMV. Learn to drive, knucklehead. Oh, trust me. That I, all I need to do is to grow in God is drive in Oklahoma traffic. <clears throat> I'm growing in God, man. I'm gonna go get in my car. What are you doing? I'm growing in Jesus. And and now that could sound bad because I know I've done stupid things behind the wheel too. You know I made mistakes too, but when somebody says it merge ahead and, and you know merge and there's a sign about a mile and a half. And you see these people coming up behind. Oh, no, you're not getting in between. No, uh-uh. I'll run you into the guardrail. You saw the merge sign just like everybody else did. And you think you're going to get to the front of the line? Not on my watch. And then I want to get out and tithe to the trucker who takes up both lanes and go, yeah, baby. So, we're working to be disciples of God. The best of the best life is not how emotional you are, how animated you are when it, we talk about Jesus, but how committed you are to what you believe, to what you stand for. But before you can be committed to what you believe, you have to know what you believe. What do you really believe? What are the things worth fighting for? 
in your life. What, what I've learned and am learning, and when I, before I married Susan, I, 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 I've told you the story. I was in the Ukraine uh, doing a pastor's conference, and I lost all dignity on stage. I just began to bawl. I began to cry. And I'm trying to explain to these pastors that why I'm crying. But, but I really couldn't because the Lord's addressing me inside. And he said, I'm going to teach you to love your wife the way I love you. And that will make anybody cry. Because I know how much he loves me. And he loves me when I'm a mess. He loves me when I'm stupid. He loves me when I do. And he said, I want you to love that way. And I'd never loved that way in my life. Matter of fact, I didn't think it was possible. I get things done. I'm a go-getter. I'm a doer. But historically, I was the guy that said, whatever it takes, I'm going to get to where I'm going. And people are more important than the goal that you set. If you achieve a goal and you lose everybody, you've lost everything. And what I've realized in this part of my life is that if I can't take you with me, the journey's probably not worth going. If you can't take people with you, you know, there'll be people who will choose not to follow. There'll be people who will choose not to go. But when you do that, you exercise a patience, a grace, a love, a mercy that causes people to see they're more important than the goal that you've set. I've said I want to see thousands of people here. And honestly, I don't need it anymore. But after everything I went through and the losses I incurred and the things that happened, the greatest testimony that I will ever have on this side of heaven is a testimony that God really does believe in restoration. God really does believe in forgiveness. God really does believe. And I wouldn't even ask that had I not sold out and did the things I needed to do to own the things I've done. And I don't expect people to jump on the bandwagon, but I do expect us as Christians to stick together and believe God so a world can see when they come in and make a mistake that we're not going to abandon them. We're going to walk it out with them. It doesn't always look good. It's not always easy. But you find out who, in my opinion, true Christians are not when you're doing well, but when you're doing poorly. When you've fallen flat on your face and you wake up with blood all over your face and you look around and you see who's still there. Those are believers to me, not those who abandon you. So as we go through this series, my goal would be to bring out thoughts and points that would reach into your soul and pull on the best that's in you because what most of us don't realize and I'm sure I include myself I don't know everything that's in me yet and I don't know the best that's in me but I'm going after it like Paul said I'm going to press toward that mark and, and, and too often, we're hanging on to life and asking pros and cons. And sometimes God will ask you to do really messy stuff. And I'll close with this. When I was a kid, we were lower middle class. We were on the lower part of the lower middle class. And I remember my mother got some living room furniture. Now, 
we had a little bitty living room and a den. We were kind of cool. You know, we didn't just have one room. We had two. Now, there was really no need for two because I remember when they bought a, this living room suit, it was a brown sofa, and it, the material wasn't even comfortable. And, and a brown chair that went with it, and my mother had a piano in there. She played for a little bitty church when we were kids. And, 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 and then they would put plastic on them. Any of you are old enough to remember plastic on sofas? And you'd sit down in the summertime on those, and you would stick. And, and, and you only got to sit on them because there was plastic, and you never went in there unless it was a special occasion. That sofa lasted my whole life. <laughs> and all we could say it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't fun, it wasn't usable. It lasted. And that's the story of many Christians. They didn't really live life. They just lasted. They're the ones who are angry and mean. At 80-some years old, some 20-year-old punk gets born again right before he dies, and they're mad that he got saved because he lived wild, never served God one day. And he got born again on the way to the hospital in the ambulance and died. And those are the people that are mad because they got plastic on their Christianity. <laughs> I'm not saying be wild, but, man, enjoy life. Being a Christian is an adventure. It's not a school of do's and don'ts. It's a, it's a school of relationships and loving one another and loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fighting for the right things. Too often we're fighting against things, and this is kind of the crux of today's message that you'll get next week. Too often we're fighting against instead of fighting for. Don't ask yourself who I'm against. Ask yourself who you're for. And if you're for Jesus and you're for love and you're for grace and you're for mercy, it'll be amazing at what happens. We're too busy judging everybody for who they are and who they're not without looking in the mirror and realizing we've got our own issues. And the thing I love about Mosaic is we're just a bunch of broken pieces coming together every week to create a portrait of God's grace and mercy. And when you're not here, a part of that beautiful painting's missing. You're all needed, you're all wanted, and you're all going to make it. And I want you to hear those words because maybe some of you are facing things this week. You're not in-house today, but you're facing something. And I'm believing God. Regardless, you're going to look at everything you did that got you to where you are. And you're going you're gonna to have to fight to move forward. Because you're going to hang on to what you did. And you're going to say, I deserve this. And, and maybe there is some of that. But I'm going to tell you something. When I read what's written in red, all I see is Jesus saying, get up. Get up. When you fall down, get up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, the Bible says he rises again. I challenge you to rise up and quit looking at what you did and start looking at what you can do in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your son without whom we would have no opportunity no strength no power nothing to get to where you want us to go to be who you want us to be to do what you want us to do so lord help us to quit looking around at everybody else and measuring ourselves against them so we can feel better lord let us lift up your word let us let us 
take in your word. Let us declare your word. Let us speak your word every day. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. You who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You've separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. You remember it no more. Father, I thank you. My fight is to walk closer to you every day. My fight is not against those who hate me, disagree with me, speak poorly of me. My fight, Lord, is to embrace you every day. And the closer I get to you, the less all of those things matter to me. What somebody might say, what somebody might do. The promotion that was lost and given to somebody else. Rather than being mad and fighting for that, going and complimenting and encouraging and celebrating the other person. Help us, Lord, to see beyond our own goals and our own needs and our own desires. Help us to see you in every situation, in every person, in every crisis, in every opportunity. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to pray a simple prayer that will make a profound difference to receive Christ into your life. And we don't get Christ because we're good. I quit going to church when I was young and did so many things, and I thought, I, I just, just too, I'm too bad. I've done too many things. There's no way that God could ever love me. What I realized was God didn't love me because I did bad things or did good things. He didn't hate me because I did bad, didn't love me because I did good. He loved me because he created me in his image and likeness, and he did the same for you. So let's all pray this prayer together, please, in-house and all of you watching online. If you need to receive Jesus, pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you sent your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare today I am forgiven. I am a child of God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time or to recommit your life to Christ, I want to ask you to do a couple things. Those of you in-house, text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.